my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Hey, everyone. This is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Grown Up Stuff. Grown Up Stuff. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Big Money Energy Podcast, season two with iHeart Radio, the greatest podcast ever. Obviously, today we have a really, really, really cool entrepreneur, Elir Sella. And now you might be saying, What? I don't know who that is. I don't, but you know what you do have? You know what you do know? You know what you have tasted? Pizza. Elir Sella is the new pizza king because he founded a company called Slice, which has completely changed the way people order pizza all over the world. He's created it not too long ago, and he's now built it to 1,075 employees, and they're going to do a billion dollars in pizza sales this year. The story is totally incredible. He's a first-generation immigrant from Macedonia, grew up in Staten Island, went to local college, and just figured out what his passion was and so many other things. Also, he turned down an offer to sell the company once for $18 million. He said no. That was a really, really tough decision for him. And then again for $350 million. He said, no, we go through the whole thing. I hope you like it. Typically, there's so much information that I'm like trying to pare it down. I'm like, all right, how do I be as efficient with questions as possible, Yeah, right? With you, like I know just enough 
but you're also kind of like the secret ninja entrepreneur. <laughs> like there's not That's a right. whole lot out yeah. there. And so um, I kind of want to like dig into it. People know your background and they're listening to this. So they've obviously read the caption and the description of what the podcast episode is, but you're first generation. Yeah. I moved here when I was 10 years old, came here from Europe. Um, I remember literally vividly remember flying into JFK. I come from a town in Europe, in Southeastern Europe, that has zero traffic lights. I mean, there's no, there's barely any lights. Yeah. And coming into uh, New York City from uh, from JFK, you look around, you look out the window, you're 10 years old. Insane. I mean, it looks like magic. Yeah. It looks like anything, anything could be possible, which is uh, kind of the, it, it, it stuck with me from uh, from that moment forward. And what brought your family to the U.S. and to New York? Yeah, my uh, my family actually has been um, going back and forth. My um, my grandfather, my parents lived in the city in the seventies, and they owned a pizza shop called Charlie's Pizza on Seventy Fifth and Third. Nice. And the wild story, as a real estate um, person, you'll appreciate this. Good location, Seventy Fifth and Third. Yeah, they earned a lot with their pizza shop. It was a twenty four seven operation. Saved a lot of cash. Yeah, their lease ran up. And the building owner offered them to buy the building for three hundred thousand dollars. Uh, in what, what year? <laughs> uh, Nineteen seventy-five. Oh man! And they turned it down uh, so they could all move back home. Got it. Uh, to and Europe. take the money. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, they moved back, uh, moved back home, and then um, in nineteen ninety, decided to to come back again. And I think part of it has to do had to do with the fact that uh, my brothers and I we were you know getting older. Sure. Uh, in the in a sort of sense and they wanted to provide opportunity for us specifically on the education front so better schools better opportunities and they made a lot of sacrifices to come back i'm sure yeah. and you spoke english at the time no not really barely barely crazy yeah it's like just so classic right like your parents put you on an airplane and take you to the u.s and that's right you don't really know english and they're like go figure it out go to school go on and be somebody <laughs> but uh <laughs> fortunately America. i have a twin brother and identical identical wow and are you uh, the, are you the twin or are you really elite <laughs> you never know uh we are in a lot <laughs> of places true. we should check i am in a lot of places at the same time let me put it that way uh, i'm kidding but um we um it, it was it made things a lot easier obviously you have a twin brother you're kind of going through this journey together yeah you don't feel so alone and you don't have to sort of have this pressure of making friends so it yeah. kind of softened the experience a little bit. What did you want to be when you were a little kid? I'm trying to imagine you as like nine years old in Macedonia and then 11 in New York. Yeah, I, uh, I'll i be my, – my dad really instilled this sort of entrepreneurial uh, passion from, from the early days. My dad uh, worked incredibly hard. He was, you know, part of the family's pizzeria business when he was younger and then he became a master tailor and opened up a shop in Manhattan when we moved back um, and st- – really made a name for himself because the suits he made were just are, are incredible. I mean, we've got to, we've got to talk after this, Okay, but um, <laughs> he's retired now and uh, world words sort of spread out. And, um, you know, John F. Kennedy Jr. was getting married and needed a suit for his wedding. Oh, and wow. my dad handmade his suit for his wedding. Um, wow. And that was sort of his own small business, right? He was just a master tailor. What he sort of taught us was, uh, kind of going back to the same point I made earlier, which is when you come to, to America, every opportunity is available to you, literally yeah. everything. It, it all is um, up to you. It's all up to you if you want to 
um, really take advantage and, and seize the moment and seize the opportunities. And basically what he said were, was that the rules of, of this country favor entrepreneurs. Um, nothing wrong with having a job and working for others, of course, but but that is what the system is designed to do is is nurture and enable entrepreneurs to launch businesses. Yeah. And so, yeah, from um, right out of school, I mean, my my first job was a uh, my own business where we built websites in the early two thousands. Um, was that Nerdforce? Nerdforce. Yes. I what a great. Uh, I got, a great. Simple to the point name. <laughs> yeah, I got really lucky. Um, uh, Geek Squad launched with Best Buy nationally, and um, it was not a franchise. Yeah. But people wanted to get into that business, so we started getting calls nonstop for people who wanted a franchise. I had no idea what that meant, but if they wanted one, I, I needed to sell them that. <laughs> so I franchised the model and we launched 124 locations. That's insane. Yeah. How old were you? Uh, I was 20. Well, when I launched, I was 21. So 21 to 27. Did you, did you, were you, did you go to college? Did you get out of college? I went to CUNY. I Got went it. to the College of Staten Island. Yeah. So I always did really well in school. But uh, Albanian culture is one that, where at, at the time, it was like you have to be home. You can't really go away to school. Ah. And so uh, I went to the College of Staten Island. And stay uh, close. Yeah, I graduated in three years. I uh, had a bunch of uh, college credits from high school. I don't know why. I think just I've got this way of memorizing things, I guess. Um, but yeah, finished school pretty quickly and then uh, launched the tech support company. Got it. And did you always love technology? Yeah, I think even I started, when you were a little kid, even in Macedonia, or is this like no, definitely not in Macedonia. There's no <laughs> such thing. <laughs> now there is, but um, I think what really led me to uh, embrace and, and kind of have passion for technology is sometime maybe I was 13 or 14 years old, and yeah. my older brother got a computer. Nice. My older brother, who's five years older. Yeah. He was just starting. It's the three of you, the three boys. Three of us, yeah. Yeah. So my older brother. Um, Started school. He's an architect. Um, and his freshman year of college, he got a computer. And we were not allowed to touch it, my brother and I. Yeah. And so the moment you're told you I can't touch it. I wouldn't let you guys touch my computer either. <laughs> so the moment that um, that became the rule meant that we, you know, you obviously want to go and play with yeah. it. So whenever he would be in school, because it was like a desktop at yeah, home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we would just, thing. Yeah, we would just like mess around with it. And um it became a real passion for me. So uh, when I went to college, it was a computer science uh, track. So I have nice. a computer science degree. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be. To be. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. 
As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Hey everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. We're back with season two of the podcast, which means more opportunities to glow up and become a more responsible and better adult, one life lesson at a time. And let me just tell you, this show is just as much for us as it is for you. So let's figure this stuff out together. This season, we're going to talk about whether or not we're financially and emotionally ready for dog ownership. We're going to figure out the benefits of a high yield savings account. And what exactly are the duties of being a member of the wedding party? All that plus so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Grown Up Stuff. So you sold Nerdforce. Correct. Right? And you did not go back to Macedonia and retire on the beach. <laughs> I did not. I um, I bootstrapped Nerdforce. In fact, I didn't really know what it meant to raise venture capital and investments and things like that. Did you raise money with Nerdforce? I did not. No, it was uh, just started from day one. And you just franchised it because people were calling and wanted to franchise? Yeah. Yeah, we started getting so many calls. Um, well, we were named one of the most thriving companies post 9-11 at the five-year anniversary. Crazy. So in 2006, five years after 9-11, we were on the centerfold. Back then, it was a big deal of the New York Daily News. Yeah. Um, and it was sort of this company's thriving in New York post 9-11. And so that gave us a lot of brand uh, awareness uh, at the local level. And so again, as uh, Geek Squad started launching on a national scale, we just we got bombarded with calls for franchising. Yeah. How did you figure out how to franchise? Oh, my God. Uh, I went to an attorney in Staten Island and yeah. I said, hey, I want to franchise my business. And they said, well, it's going to be $250,000. I was like, I don't I don't have $250,000. So um, I locked myself in my office for three days. Literally, it was like a Friday to a Monday. Learned everything that there is to know about how to franchise your business, including trademarking, 
your logo and brand. Sure. And I did it myself. And within 90 days, uh, we had our first franchisee. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So the answer to everyone who's listening to this is just be smart. <laughs> be super smart. Get through college in three years and learn. I, that, what you just said reminded me of like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Catch Me If You Can. Have you seen that with Tom Hanks? I have, yeah. At the end of the movie, Tom Hanks says, tell me, you know, how did you, like, what, what was it like? How did how'd you get into law school? Um, or how, what was it, become a lawyer or something? He's like, no, I just studied and took the test. And I passed it. Yeah. It's like, what? No, but you're a con artist. You had a separate way to get about it. He's like, no, I just I just studied and took the test. Yeah. And I would say that's, um, uh, it's actually less complicated than smart. I think it's just put in effort. Yeah. I, I don't know that I'm smarter than anyone that we all have the same abilities, uh, but it really is about the input, the effort you put in against that, you know, ability and that gives you an advantage or, or not. So it's really more effort than it is smart. And do you remember where your first franchise was? Uh, yeah, it was in Fort Lee, New Jersey. Nice. <laughs> and so that person then paid you a fee Correct. and opened up their own... Nerd Forest location, yeah. Got it. Were people doing these like out of their own homes and garages type thing or opening up retail stores? Uh, no, it was a mobile, it was like a you know man in a van, mobile, nice. on-site tech support, uh, in-home um, business. Nice. And you know we grew to about 900 technicians. So these franchisees started hiring their own technicians and we went from about 30 technicians to 900. And you were getting a small percentage of all yeah. of their sales. We were uh, getting $450 a month as a flat fee royalty. Okay. It was a marketing fee and that was it. And were you taking a percentage? Uh, so the royalty fee was on top of that, Correct. right? So then you sold the franchise and the rights to Nerdforce, right? Correct. Who sold it to, to a public company called Nexus Management yeah. out of the United Kingdom. Nice. Public company. Where they just knock on your door? Yeah, well, they provided enterprise uh, level support to larger companies, and they wanted to get into the SMB space, the small business space. Yeah, and they viewed Nerdforce as their wedge into small business. Nice. And then they were going to provide their enterprise level products to small businesses. Did you have to stay on board once you sold? I did. I had to stay on board for a couple of years. Um, I got really lucky. So I sold in June of two thousand eight. Yep. November of two thousand eight, the world changed. Yeah. Economically. Yep. And access to capital just completely went away. Yep. And the franchise system is highly dependent on small business loans, yep. which became impossible. And so I would say the next um, year, year and a half became pretty challenging. Yep. Um, and eventually I, I ended up leaving. Got it. To do what you're doing now or something totally different? To do what I'm doing now. So where is that mindset switch for you? You're sitting there, you just sold a company to a public company, you're in the middle of a recession, things are really, really tough. And you're like, you know what? Pizza. Yeah, yeah, so. Dude, uh, your family's been in pizza for a long time, so I get correct, that. Correct, correct. So I've got a lot of uh, family members that own pizzerias. Yeah. Uh, being Albanian, this is what Albanians do. Um, <laughs> that or construction, which is what my twin brother does. Um, there you go. Yeah, and I started getting a lot of family members asking me for help to build them websites because mm -hmm. we were because of the Nerdforce uh, experience and just my background. And the consistency with which these asks came across was kind of jarring. And you know, I knew everything about the franchise model, so I'm looking at Domino's and I'm watching commercials and they're like order online every commercial. They they stopped advertising phone numbers. Everything was e-commerce. So I wanted to learn more about what was going on there. And I also wanted to learn more about the pizza industry more holistically. Um, but I didn't really, I'll be honest, I don't really think about 
challenges. Like I didn't really think, well, it's a re- recession. Like maybe I shouldn't start a business. I don't, my brain isn't wired that way. Yeah, my brain's more just like, what is, what is the opportunity and what's the current sort of data set? Sure. And so um, anyway, learned a couple of things. One, you may be surprised, but the pizza industry in the US is $47 billion. Okay. That is revenue that passes through 77,000 locations in the US. That's a massive, massive industry, 47 billion. Two, only 25% of all locations are the big chains combined. Okay. Domino's, Papa John's, Little Caesars, Pizza Hut. Everyone else is independent for the most part. Yeah. And three, Domino's locations were starting to really outperform independence because of the e-commerce play. One, two, three. Exactly. And so I, um, I was like, wait, going back to my experience with NerdForce, these independent operators, these mom and pop locations have the same problem that the independents who are competing with us did as well. But let me go and talk to them. Let me see why did, why did my uncle not open up a Papa John's? Why did he open up John Anthony's Pizza? Yeah. So what you learn is that most small business owners are really passionate about a craft. And so they go into the business because of that. And they inherit all these business problems. But they are not really business people. They don't know marketing. They don't know technology. They don't know you know, finances and all those things. They just kind of have to figure that stuff out. Right. So They're artists first. Yeah. And so I realized that there's an opportunity to create a new model called a reverse franchise, where instead of doing sort of recreating the franchise, I wanted to unite all the independents and in essence, create the world's largest pizza chain. Sure. But this time, instead of all of them being the same brand, for them to be independent brands, but have the same benefits. Got it. So that was the moment I realized that those three things and, and sort of that lesson for why independents go into business or mom and pop sort of owners go into business. Um, I went and bought a domain name called mypizza.com, uh, which was the the brand of my company for the first five years. Did you have to buy it from somebody else? I did. Uh, it was for sale for $150,000. What? Yeah. Mypizza.com? Yeah. It was, it was, I mean, this is 2009. Domain yeah. names were pretty popular. Pizza.com, which I tried to buy, yeah. was on sale for $4 million. Oh, my God. So I was like, I'll, I'll take the my. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but I negotiated that down to 15K. Nice. So good 15, work. Yeah. So you are a good salesman. I, I mean, the transparency, again, the storyteller, you knock it down. Yeah. And so um, <laughs> got that on board and, and we started, um, yeah, we started scaling quickly. Bootstrapped, again, uh, no investments. But it started as My Pizza. MyPizza.com. And then obviously, so this is 2009, 2010. So creating an app wasn't even an idea yet. No, it was still super early. I mean, in hindsight, I probably should have invested there early enough, but I did not. Instead, we, for the most part, built websites for the pizzeria. Yep. Powered by MyPizza. And then we had MyPizza.com. So you guys were the platform. Correct. And And you would go, so you would just cold call independent pizzerias and say, hey, we're going to help you sell more pizza online? Yeah, well, we'll, we tried doing that, and they were like, what are you talking about? Who needs to sell pizza online? It's Again, it's 2009. No one really wants technology. (laughs) And so um, I went and got three cars, these like little Nissan Cubes. They look like pizza boxes. Um, Branded them with my pizza, and I would park them in front of pizzerias. Literally just move them around with my twin brother. And we would leave them around town, and it would give us credibility. Because we were brand new, like who knew my pizza.com. Yeah, yeah. And um, 
And then after leaving them, you know, in front of a pizzeria for a day or two, I would go inside the pizzeria and say, hey, I'm with mypizza.com. If you guys want to want to work with us, here's what we do. And that's how we got probably the first 50 to 100 locations. Wow. Yeah. But you'd build them all their own individual websites. Correct. Because that's what your friends and family were having you do. Yeah. Because that's what you asked somebody who starts a company called Nerdforce to yeah. do. Right? Exactly. But what we did was, uh, and the, the unlock here is that all these pizzerias are almost identical. They just don't know it. Yeah. They all operate the same way. Yeah. And so what we did was we built a system where as long as I can enter a pizzeria's information on the back end, on the front end, a website would be created automatically. Wow. But it was just like a cookie cutter website. Got it. Same one, just different photos different name, and different names. Yeah. What, how'd you make money? Uh, so we basically charged $2 per order. For right. every order we generated online. Yep. We would charge two dollars, and, and because it you're building the money. website, yeah, you're knowing what orders are coming through. Correct. Got it. So we built a website. Uh, we had mypizza.com. We created some advertising channels, the marketing channels online through Google, and so for every order that would pass through, the restaurant would pay us two dollars. It would cost us one. So literally, like it was like create something for for a dollar, sell it for two, and do that as many times as possible. Got it. Good thing people buy a lot of pizza though. And you started just East Coast to start. Yeah, just mostly in New York. And I'll tell you a story, by the way. My mom was like, what is this new thing you're doing? Why don't you go get a job? Yeah. And and I was like, okay, I'll explain to you what we do. We, we partner with pizzerias. We build this website. We enter all their menu items. We go and advertise and then somebody orders. And then when somebody orders, we make money. And she's like, okay, not bad. So the order is like $30. So you make $30. I was like, no, no, no. We make two. And in fact, <laughs> it costs us one. So we make a dollar. And she's like, all that work for a dollar? <laughs> lots of dollars. Lots of do Exactly. You reach scale. Lots and lots yeah. of dollars. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Check the backseat. Check the backseat. All right, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the back seat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey, everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. 
like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Here's a clip from an upcoming episode featuring the weekly home checks, Keyshawn Lane, that you won't want to miss. A common mistake that a lot of people do, they use fabric softener when it's not so great for your clothes. Should we never be using fabric softener? No, you should not ever be using fabric softener. It leaves a deposit on our clothes, which is also left in the machine. And it also makes the clothes highly flammable. Wait, what? (laughs) Yes. What you want to do instead is just use a quarter cup of vinegar. And that'll make them softer? That'll make them softer. And if you wanted some kind of scent, you can use essential oils. Wow, wow, wow. Catch new episodes of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult every other Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Grown Up Stuff. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela Yee is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yimby's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know, that's right. (laughs) What is wrong with you? (laughs) Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B. So then where do you go from there? Like you just, okay, now I'm just going to tackle all the independent pizzerias in the United States? Yeah, so then, uh, you know, once we started um, s- sort of creating some critical mass on the on the restaurant side, word started to spread. Um, really, the unlock for us was when we figured out how to turn online orders into faxes to the pizzeria automatically. So there's technology that converts um, something in, in, you know, something digital to a fax. Sure. Within like 30 seconds. So that they could get like the paper order and they would print yeah. it out and deliver it. Yeah, because a lot of pizzerias were like, hey, I don't want all this technology. Sure. Um, you know, they're sort of, uh, there's a lot of anxiety around that. But they all have a fax number on their menu. Yeah. And so we started asking, hey, how many times does this fax machine print an order for you? And they would say once every two weeks. Yeah. And so we were like, what if that printed out like 30 times a day? They were like, you know, it's great. And it, it meant that they didn't have to change their workflow. And so we started selling my pizza as a fax ordering service to the restaurant, but an online ordering uh, product to the consumer. Crazy. And the moment that happened, it just kind of took off. And pizzeria is just kind of, because they all talk to each other, right? They all talk to, and they're all very connected. If uh, if you own a pizza shop, so does your brother-in-law, maybe your sister. Yeah. And so there's this sort of community effect. And then they just all want to be a part of the same system. Because Correct. you're also, you're making ordering easier, but we're also make, making them more money? Are they selling yeah. more pizza? No, definitely. So the big unlock here is that online volume, e-commerce volume yeah. is more valuable than offline volume. Okay. So if you compare two pizzerias, one of them is 100% phone-based, where you're calling in the orders. The other one is 100% e-commerce. The difference is going to be 3x. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, one, because the phone channel is the same person who's making the pizza has to answer the phone. Yeah, yeah. It's busy. It's all these things. Taking down the credit card number is such a pain. All that stuff. Yeah. Two, once you call a pizzeria, they never call you back. Yeah. Like, there's no CRM. There's no like retention marketing. Yeah. Uh, they don't remind you to reorder. Yeah. <laughs> they don't upsell you. There's none of that. And then um, three, it costs a lot more to serve that customer because you need people to answer the phone. Sure. And so, and you make a lot of mistakes and all that good stuff. So really the premise here is that if we can flip all of these independent pizzerias, these family-owned businesses to e-commerce businesses, 
they'll make a lot more money and they'll save a lot a lot of money. Nice. Yeah. And so then take me up to 2016 when yeah. everything switched. So a uh, couple of things happened between then and uh, 2016. One is first. Started, did you did you raise any money? We didn't raise money. So you're um, just operating purely off cash flow. Purely off, like yeah, cash flow, bootstrapped. Um, Got it. Started to build out a team in Macedonia. So you're profitable. Yeah, we were hiring some family members in Macedonia uh, to do some of the menu work that we spoke about. Because you wanted to do this for pizzerias in Macedonia. No, it's all U.S., but I wanted them to help me uh, ah. do the work. Okay. And so offshore. I went. Yeah, offshore. I went to visit family in 2010 yep. in Macedonia. And they were asking me about this new company. And one of my relatives said, hey, why don't you give us that work and we can do it for $5. <laughs> and it was costing us 100 here. Got it. And so, and by the way, $5 over there, $5 per hour yeah, is maybe five times the national average. Got so it. you get this amazing job in an office. You get paid really well. Yeah. Um, and so we started hiring people there. And by 2015, we had a team there of about, 20 or 30 people. Doing a lot of the admin work. Yeah, the back office operations. And then I pick my head up February of 2015. Yep. I'm in Starbucks in Staten Island. Okay. And I'm looking at these, um, at my books, at my financial books. And in January of 2015, we had profited $250,000 just for the month. Nice. Straight to the bottom line. Um. I started doing some silly things. So I went to Manhattan Motor Cars and bought a Bentley. Nice. <laughs> Just cash. And I was like, I'll make it up next month. No. Um, so <laughs> so some silly things like that. Where, but, where, where is that Bentley now? Uh, I sold it in three years later. Got yeah. it. But, you know, things you do that you're like, you know, what am I going to do with this money? Sure. Um, then I realized, wait, I'm being kind of silly. I need to reinvest this thing. And uh, continue to reinvest in the company. Six months later, I got an offer to sell the company for $18 million. And it would have been, you know, life-changing. Crazy. Yeah. And I almost did it. Who who makes that kind of offer? A private equity fund. Interesting. A couple of brothers had sold their own tech company, and they were starting to create a portfolio of companies. And they saw what you guys were doing and just came to you? Yeah. Yeah, came to us and um, got really close. They took me out to dinner, the whole thing. Yeah. Got really close to selling. And my twin brother was like, well, what are you going to do next? Because how old were you at that time? I was 35. Got it. And, and, you know, I thought to myself, I was like, you know what? I'll probably do the same thing again, third time around. And for me, it was like, you know what? Um, This is still the beginning. We were growing so fast that I kind of asked myself, hey, what if I treated this company as the new thing and I don't sell? But what if I really come in with that level of energy of like launching something brand new? Mm -hmm. What would happen? And so I turned down the deal and I reached out to one of the founders of Seamless who had sold the company on Twitter. And um, they responded and they're like, yeah, let's jump on a call. Get on a call. He's like, hey, like, what is this business? MyPizza.com. I've never heard of it. I, I don't even know what this is. But hey, when you have like 500 restaurants on your platform, just call me back and we'll we'll work together. I was like, well, I've got 3,000. I had 3,000 restaurants by then. And he's like, come to my office tomorrow. Um, I, go to the, I go to the office. Um, they got really excited and invested a million dollars. For me, it was access to their network to help sure. me scale the business. 
And that was kind of the beginning of the second phase of, of the company. But it was still my pizza. It was still my pizza. And this is 2016. This was late 2015, late like 2015. Uh, October, November of 2015. So when did you make the switch from all the different websites into the one app platform? Yeah, so- Because that uh, must have been a huge, that's a huge business plan shift. Yeah, uh, well, in Everything fact- Everything changed. Yeah, and we, we still actually power all the websites. So we, we decided to go from just being websites only to being omni-channel. Okay. So one is we made a deal with Google. So we are a direct partner with Google. Where if you are a pizza shop and you partner with Slice, the consumer can order through Google, Google Assistant, Google Food Ordering, you name it, all these channels freely Got it. without you having to do anything extra. And then we started to invest in a direct-to-consumer app, um, and we launched that in October of 2016. Okay. And that, was, that coincided in parallel with us going from the My Pizza brand to the Slice brand. And it was kind of crazy. Bus- Business Insider wrote this article that said... This one-man company is so profitable that they've hired 100 people in like 90 days, and now it's called Slice kind of thing. So I think it's still still out there. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it is still out there. It's such a cool, such a crazy cool story. Um, why did you do all this? Like what's your mission? Is it to take down dominoes? Is it to empower? I, listen, you know, I, I could have nine hours of questions for you, um, <laughs> but your story is just so unique and inspiring to a lot of people who are listening. Like I have a lot of ideas right now. Um, and so I know a lot of other people are probably thinking, you know, for themselves too, but like it, you, you now are at a point where is the goal just to completely shift the way people order food? Is it to change the paradigm? Is it just to build something as big as possibly can be? Because have you had other offers come to you to try to buy you out left and we right? Have. Um, we have. We did. We had another offer in 2019. I haven't made this public, but I'll share it here. Uh, I won't say who, but we did have an in offer. The trailer, in the trailer. Yeah. I haven't. I want to, yeah, that's great. But we did have an offer to sell for $350 million in, oh, 20, in 2019 that I turned down. Yeah. You turned it down? Yeah. Did you tell and, your mom? <laughs> I did. Okay. I just want to make sure because so maybe she'll listen to this. We uh, And at the time, I own more than 50% of the company still. So uh, it would have been that would have been life-changing as well. But uh, in hindsight, it, it was absolutely the right idea. Uh, and it was the, the, the right decision. Why? Um, because again, we're incredibly early in this uh, digital transformation, e-commerce transformation phase. Yeah. And uh, to your question, like what what motivates me? It's you know, money is a is a lagging indicator of uh, wealth that you can create for the world. And sure. I don't. Wealth isn't defined as money. Yeah. Wealth is making people making things people want. Yeah. And so that's one. Two. I also don't like. I don't operate with the mindset of in order for me to win, I got to make sure somebody else loses because that assumes that wealth is a finite pie. That's not true either. Wealth, in fact, is an infinite um, game. If you create wealth, it's incremental to everything that already exists. Um, And so I admire Domino's. I admire some of these chains. I think they're doing incredibly well and I take some inspiration from what they're doing. But I want to make that accessible and democratize that as much as I don't like that word um, to everybody else. So for me, what I'm really passionate about is how do we keep the debate of what is your favorite pizza yeah. going? Because that debate will be gone if local family-owned businesses go out of business. Yeah, of course. And the only way for 
these family-owned businesses to have a shot is for there to be an operating system, ultimately, a platform that will allow them to focus on what they do really well, yep. but solve all the other problems. Yep. So having said all of that, the way I think about the opportunity looking forward is instead of somebody going and wanting to open up a franchise, I want someone to open up their own local brand, their own authentic brand with their own recipe, their own story, their own history, um, and focus on what they do best. But everything else is sort of solved for by slice, which is the real estate side. We, we should talk after. Yeah. Um, the financial side, so access to capital, the entire technology platform, brand, creative, marketing, all those things. Do you give small business loans now we as do. a company? Yeah. We're, uh, we're actually launching two new locations this month with great operators who have had one location for a long time, Yep, have always had a dream to open up their second location, but they didn't have access to capital Yep, or had a lot of anxiety about where and how to do it. Uh, one of them will be in Greenwich, Connecticut. Nice. And another one is in a small town in Massachusetts. Got it. And are you taking ownership stakes in those? We are not. No, they're just uh, exclusive customers to Slice. Interesting. Yeah. So what's your what's your day like now? I mean, are you hiring and managing this entire time? Is that like your Monday through Friday? Yeah. Um, you know, for a while it became really reactive. And yeah. I, I'm not really, it's not really a great feeling to, to react to things at this scale. Yeah. So I've actually put some structure to my week. And so I've created themes for every day. Ah. Um, and so, you know, Mondays are my days with uh, my direct management team. So with our chief business officer, chief technology officer, yeah. and, you know, and so on and so forth. And and also we have our exec team meeting. Yeah. So I know what Monday is about. Yeah. Um, Tuesday is sort of a focus on product. Wednesday, we've got no meeting days. Like we don't, we just don't meet. Got it. It's it's a data to do, get shit done. Yeah. Can I say that? Yeah. I don't know if I can. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, so every day has a theme. But, um, you know, what's been pretty awesome is meeting a lot of different people and uh, learning about different stories, being here today and, you know, learning, hopefully learn more about, you know, your journey as well. But, um, you know, I think that's most of, uh, most of how I spend my time. And then on the weekends, I literally live inside pizzerias. I just go drive around and I'll sit at a pizzeria. They don't really know who I am, but I'll order a pie. And when you order a pie from a, from an owner and you tell them it's good, yeah. They start t they start talking. Yeah, so sure. you can ask them questions. They're like, "Well, what are your, yeah, your biggest challenges?" Yeah. And so I try to stay really close to the customer. Yeah. Cuz the last thing I would want to do is lose touch with sure. what exactly is happening in the market. Big Money Energy is hosted by me, Ryan Serhant. It's produced by Mike Coscarelli and Joe Laresca and executive produced by Lindsay Hoffman. Find more podcasts like Big Money Energy on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. 
Hey everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Grown Up Stuff. Grown Up Stuff. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app.